You're listening to Dots, Lines, and Destinations, a travel podcast with host Stephen Seagraves, Fosma Moon, and Seth Miller. Hello and welcome to episode 383 of Dots, Lines, and Destinations. I'm Stephen Seagraves, joined by Seth Miller and special guest Ryan Jones, founder and CEO of Flighty, uh, flighty.app. Welcome, Ryan. Hey guys, thanks for having me. Yeah, so I think what we're going to do is get started just talking home improvements oh, on this week. It's been a busy weekend. We've all been, you know, working. No, no sorry. Uh, <laughs> but we have. That was a fun intro before we got started on the show. Um, but yeah, Ryan, um, the Flighty app, I mean, you've been doing this got a few years now. I know we've been talking about it off and on for a while, but tell us a little bit more about this. It's not just flight tracking and sort of flight history. It's a little bit more than that, right? Yeah, we like to think so. It's um, so we're we started technically working on it four years ago, and we launched two and a half years ago, um, right before a little thing called the pandemic happened. So it's pretty terrible timing. We launched in uh, August of 2019, oh. so we had about six months before things went to zero. Um, but yeah, in terms of the app, the way that I describe it is. For people that are frequent flyers or really savvy, sophisticated travelers, there's there's certain things that you do in order to know if your plane's going to be on time or the security lines are going to be terrible or the weather's bad at the airport, all that kind of stuff. And what we do is we take all the stuff that nerdy people like us know how to do and A, make it all in one place for people like us, and then B, make it push button easy for anyone who's not like us but wants to get all that information. Nice. I um I mean you have a lot of experience with iOS apps. Uh, you were involved with probably arguably my favorite app on the App Store, which was Weatherline, which you sold, oh, um, which made which made me sad. But no. it's also a great thing for you. Um, so I'm I'm happy for you. Sad for myself. Uh, so you you've you've made iOS apps before. Um, the design of a flighty is is uh, very clean and it's very intuitive. Um, what what were you trying to do? Was this were you trying to fit it so that that non-tech savvy people non-frequent flyers could could do what they wanted to do because it's it's easy i've shown other people the app and they're they're just like oh i just put in my where i'm coming from and where i'm going and on the date and that's it and i mean it's super simple so was that your focus or was there more to it that you guys were building up yeah it's a good question i think that um well first thanks for the weatherline compliments um it's i guess i just think of that as kind of like good design um Hmm. we, we you know we have certain amount of design principles we try to follow. And one of them is to tell you what you need to know at that time. And then kind of the second layer is to let you see where that came from. And then the third layer is to kind of dig in. And if you want to get more information, Uh, Mm -hmm. but a lot of people will stop at the, like um, whatever, it's two hours before your flight. Like we pretty much know what you want to look at at that time. And we make sure that that's at the top of the app and surfaced up front. Um, So like you said, it, I mean, that's part of the, I said it, said it a minute ago, actually. That's why we didn't launch for a year and a half. Um, we did a lot of talking to the community. We had a little, at the beginning, we were trying to beta test this thing and it was, you know, kind of hard um, because you need to be flying and we mm. can only fly so much. Um, so what ended up happening, which is obvious in hindsight, is we basically had like 150 pilots and crew who were using it constantly because they were the people that could just rip off legs like over and over and over and give us good feedback. But um, over testing and honing and you know having experience making ios apps i think like you said we've been able to get it really simple at the high level and then you can kind of drill down and see why and then uh, you know we always you always have to be careful with how much you build before you kind of interact with users so i think what you see now is probably 
even more streamlined and it's not it's not surface level but a lot of the deeper stuff is getting to the point where you know we've been out in the market for two and a half years and we can start adding some of the really really deep stuff nice yeah. you, you mentioned there ta- having the ability to sort of surface the right information depending on where someone is relative to their travel day right mm-hmm. you know two weeks out i need to know if my flight times changed on the schedule two hours out i need to know if my aircraft is inbound and i'm going to be you know i have a chance of getting out on time or what the weather is things like that right those sorts of differences how what i mean a lot of people talk about doing that sort of thing and sort of adjusting <laughs> based on you know your flight time airlines try to do it too how come you actually managed to do it no one else, or not no one else but you know how come you've managed to pull it off it's a really good question um so yeah uh, if if we go if we step back a little bit to kind of answer the question so you guys are probably familiar and probably a lot of the listeners are probably familiar with flight track pro which was the original like oh my god you can look up the status of your flight in your pocket and they were very early to ios and apple used them a ton in marketing and commercials and on the app store because i mean everyone here everyone on this podcast remembers but you know it was insane that you could look that and you could figure that out in your pocket when first time someone showed you that you're like whoa how did you do that right so that app um because it was so good and Apple loved it so much for good reason, uh, it really kind of sucked the oxygen out of the room for competitors. And um, as you guys probably know, Expedia bought it. And this is actually the only time I've ever seen this happen. But they rolled out Flight Track 5, and it was so universally disliked that they rolled out the old Flight Track Pro and ran them side by side for a couple of years before they ended up shutting both down. Um, wow. So even, even when... Uh, so Mobiata was the original company that made it, but even, even when Mobiata had gotten right after they gotten acquired, I was kind of looking at this space as, man, there's so much data and everyone's doing such a bad job of distilling it down. Um, and like you mentioned before, like what, what, what that's what I did with Weatherline is I, I think, I guess I have a, I get frustrated when things are complicated, more complicated than they should be. And mm-hmm. then I just dig in like a classic nerd and learn a ton about it and like how, what's going into all this information. And then I think the just like Apple centric design centric user centric side of me really values putting it down into some or distilling it down into something easy so that anybody can use it. Um, So we just, I didn't see an app come along that did it. I thought I kept waiting and waiting. And I was like, somebody, please, now that Flytrack Pro is gone, somebody else do this. I don't (laughs) have to. And it literally, it's, I mean, it sounds made up, but like I was driving from the Florida Keys on new year's day in 2018 with my 92 you know, year old grandmother and we drove up that terrible highway that you have to leave super early because if there's one wreck you're screwed and we got to fort lauderdale and the jet blue flight was delayed like five hours and it was so frustrating because it was easily knowable i just didn't have time to do all my usual geeky stuff because i'm driving on the highway <laughs> and i just we sat there at chili's for five hours and i literally tweeted i was like that's it i'm done like who wants to make this app i'm making it um <laughs> A lot of world-changing decisions happen at airport chilies. Yeah, <laughs> Based on JetBlue flight cancellations also? I mean, what's probably. What's new again? Yeah. <laughs> There's probably some sort of uh, collaboration there that we don't know about where Chili's is getting a kickback. <laughs> um, so so, so you, you came up with this idea and then you just, you I mean, looking at some of the, the details behind the app, like the data sources that you're mm-hmm. bringing together, right? I add a... Um, you're bringing together flight stats. You're bringing together stuff from FlightAware, and, and you're blending in all this together to give people an experience. And I've actually interacted with one of your engineers on Twitter nice. because I, I was I the feature that I love of the app is the real route 
like mm-hmm. my actual route. And I was like, okay, you got to tell me how you're doing this <laughs> at scale because this is incredible. And uh, so you get, your data set must be huge. Yeah. It's um, we have amazing, amazing engineering. Um, it's actually just one guy now and he's, he's awesome. Uh, Frances, who's may have been the guy you talked to, but it was, yeah. So to, to maybe the, the question I didn't answer and that question at the same time, uh, how do we do it? It's so mobile is different than anything I've done before in that it, there's only so much you can design and plan for beforehand. You literally just have to get it in your hand and iterate over and over and over. And maybe, I mean, maybe like whatever the guys who designed Instagram can do it just like by sight, but mm. it, most people I talk to say the same thing. So that that's the answer to how we got it to this. And a little bit of my weather background helped because we did a similar thing in Weatherline, right? Like we, I knew that dark sky had the most accurate rain and AccuWeather had the most accurate forecast and WDT had the most accurate radar. And I kept using three apps to put these things together. And it was like, that's ridiculous. So we just bought all three and put them all together in one app. And I, it, I didn't realize until like a year ago that that was kind of like boot camp for this. We, I got a ton of experience talking to API providers, evaluating these things. Like I have endless Excel spreadsheets and we, we had a version of the app called Flighty Red where we would run da- different data providers side by side with the current app we have now and then flip them back and forth to see which one is more accurate. So it's, it's a ton of trial and error and actually going through the steps of when you're a user and you wake up in the morning on a flight day, what are you thinking about? And mm-hmm. so we have a specific alert that we call the good morning, which, you know, if it's in the evening, it says good evening, but it just says good morning. Your flight is on time. Here's the terminal you're leaving from. Here's the time you're arriving. Here's the weather to where you're going. And it's just, it's like one of those things that is obvious once you use it. Um, but like you got, like you said, you don't, see a lot of people coming into this space who have that super user and product centric point of view. There's a lot of apps and services out there that come from the aviation side. So you have the super nerdy data stuff. And I think because my origin is a little more product centric and the aviation is kind of like the second layer for me, that's probably why it comes through like that in the product. Mm, mm, yeah, that's a good point. I, I, uh, I was looking at, um, I, I mean, we've, I don't know how many episodes you've listened to, but I've kind of crapped on some of the airline. I think we've all crapped on airline apps mm-hmm. um, on this show. And I mean, even some of the stuff you're showing where flight status or where you're inbound is it's it's better than some of the airline apps. So like, I don't think people realize that there's an option out there. So hopefully listening to this, it's like, oh, I don't have to have the crappy WebView Delta app. I can just, you know, put my flight number in and I get better information than what's in there. Um I don't know if that was your intention, but it definitely feels b- better than when I use the Delta app. Yeah, I mean it has to, right? Like they're that. That's the. I think our competitors are the airline apps and Google. Personally, mm-hmm. there's there's a couple other apps that do what we do, um, and yeah, I think they're they're competitors as well. Um, but the main competition is Delta, United, American, Lufthansa, whoever, and then people just typing it into Google. Um, so you get on one side, you get like the people who or have a ton of status on one airline, they have a natural propensity to using that app for good reason too. Like we can't do certain things that they can do. One of the main ones is luggage. Like we don't have the whole luggage tracking thing that kind of came around a few years ago. You know, a lot of us refuse to check luggage, which is probably the smarter strategy, but that kind of thing we can't have. But other than that, we have to beat them on faster delay notifications, faster cancellation notifications, uh, telling you when the inbound is late, what like we have to win on that stuff otherwise why would anyone use the app yeah yeah let me see here i was going to open up the app actually while we're talking um yeah i do have some questions i was going to ask i know you know there you've got a freemium 
business model here. So what's the difference between the paid and the free bits? Sure. Yeah, and I probably should have given the longer de- longer description of what we do at the beginning. But <laughs> so the free plan. Well, let me. How's the best what's the best way to do this? Let's do the let's do the main the things people love, and then we'll back into which what's in what plan. So sure. the kind of as I mentioned earlier, there's the nerdy stuff that people like us know how to do. And the first level of that is where's my plane? So you know, if my departure is at two o'clock and my plane's coming from Chicago and it's not going to get here till three o'clock. I don't really care what Delta says. We're not taking off at two o'clock. And of course they can do an airframe switch or swap. So we have alerts when that happens, but it's extremely rare. Um, The next kind of level is FAA, at least in the U S is FAA mandated stuff. So you get the ground stops and the traffic management programs. And we tap directly into the FAA feed to see those, um, to know, you know, Hey, there's a ground stop. Even when your airline says you're taking off at whatever, three forty-five, it doesn't stop until four o'clock. What else? So yeah, there's, we're going to, I'm getting confused about what's already launched and what's not. We have a lot of cool stuff coming out. Um, so those are kind of the two main ones we do right now. Uh, we just added ground radar, which I think is really cool. So like a lot, I think something like 18% of a flight's time is on the ground, just taxiing, <laughs> And nobody really does anything with that. So we make a, make a point to tell you, so as soon as you push back from the gate, we say, whatever, AA 101 is pushed back. Uh, 11 minutes of taxiing before takeoff. So we tell you kind of how long that's going to be. And then if you, you know, get put in the penalty box or you're in line at JFK, you can see all the other planes around you, see your little plane flying around. That's it's correct little mini plane model, which is something I really love. And then see what number in line you are and watch other guys take off next to you and stuff like that. Um, so one of the things we wanted to do is be really privacy conscious. Uh, so there's no Facebook SDK. There's no Google SDK. There's like, we don't even tap into those things. Uh, you can use the app without ever entering your email address or your name. I don't know anything about you. Um, if you choose to enter those things, we keep them in separate databases. So we're kind of the um, uh, tried and true, like Apple privacy first thing. Gotcha. And then we really, so we don't have ads and we really wanted it to be kind of a, you choose to upgrade because you want more instead of annoying you with ads or limiting the features to force you to upgrade more. So the free plan has unlimited flights. Uh, you get the real flight plan. You get the tail number of the plane. You get all the um, what time you're going to take off, what time you're going to land, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I think Ground Raider is actually included in the free plan at the moment. It's in the, and then the basic, there's a lot of stuff in the pro plan, but uh, the main things are the 25 hour, where's my plane that we mentioned. So we automatically track your inbound and tell you if something is going wrong with it. And then a lot of the syncing. So trip it and then email import and calendar sync. So we just launched two way calendar sync. So if you have a, a lot of the crew use it. So they use roster buster or whatever to put their schedules on their calendar. And then flighty watches your calendar and automatically imports those flights. And then if you choose, we'll put it back out on your calendar in like a really nice format with, the duration of the flight and the correct time zones and how to get to the airport and stuff like that. Um, so, so more or less to answer your question five minutes later, um, <laughs> it's push alerts and a lot of the early delay prediction type stuff gotcha. It's in the pro plan. And that the pro plan is $6 a month or $50 a year. And then there's a lifetime purchase for people that are anti-subscription. And how much is that lifetime? 250. Oh, that's not bad. Actually. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, if, for, if anything, someone like me, <laughs> if anything, I need that to go up. Yeah, it, m- way more people coming from weather, like way more people go for the lifetime than I thought. Um, <laughs> I think it's a lot of the business people who realize the the like 
uh, power of the tool and are going to expense it. And they're like, oh, yeah. I and that's a one-off expense account instead of having to deal with yep. monthly or annual or whatever. Yeah. That exactly. makes sense. Um, and as part of the, uh, having you on, we're, uh, going to give away a couple, uh, year subscriptions as well. And I think you said one lifetime also for sure. Yeah. Let's give one lifetime. Sweet. So, uh, I guess Twitter is going to be where we do that. Cause I don't like answering emails. Um, so listeners, if you tweet at dots lines and also mention it's, flighty is uh it's the it's flighty app flighty app yep um and tell us you know why you want a subscription we'll pick someone in a week or so after everybody's had a chance to listen so um put that out there um i mean you just rattled off a crazy ton of sort of features Mm -hmm. and things that are in there Mm -hmm. other than my personal request for making it work on an android device um Mm -hmm. which i understand now since i've asked is you know top priority uh, <laughs> what's uh what's on the roadmap what are the uh, some of the other fun things you got in the in the pipeline oh that man to, that you're willing learned, to share i've learned i've learned this the hard way to not say <laughs> my developers <laughs> used to get so mad at me and because it, it's like those are the intentions we are going to do that thing next and then something changes um yeah. let's see what can i say um uh, i don't know it's so dangerous to say anything <laughs> well the thing yeah you're, i talked about we just to not so that's okay too <laughs> yeah um, let's see. One one of the things that I know your crowd is going to ask about, uh, is CSV or otherwise like bulk. Import. So, <laughs> I was, I was, I was actually my next question. Actually. Oh, see, so, uh, <laughs> yeah, I guess the feature we haven't talked about yet is, a uh, you know, there's flight diary and then, uh, flight radar bought. No, they fly flight memory. I don't know. Yeah. They all have flight the same memory name. is still independent. They bought flight diary and then, yeah, the names flight. get all mixed up in my head. Yeah, so that we roll that into Flighty. So instead of I'm going to take my flights over here and track my flights over here and then put it in a little travel log over here, it's like once the flights are done, they just get put on this world view and you can filter down by year or see like all time stats and stuff like that. Um, and yeah, one of the one of the things from guys who fly a lot like y'all is how do I get my history over? And right now, the easiest way to do that is TripIt because that's like a one press of the button. Actually, Calendar is super easy now too. If you have your flights in your calendar, you just give us calendar access. And I think we can do like 200 flights in a second or something like that. So it's, it's pretty fun. You get, you give access and then depending on the Wi-Fi connection and whatnot, five seconds later, you get an alert that says like 690 flights imported. Uh, but CSV is the thing that we need to do. And um, I don't know, maybe within a year, it's tough because all the different formats and then the data costs are so high. Um, yeah. This is, you guys probably know this. Um, if you start to get into the really weeds here, but past flight data is way more expensive than current flight data. Yes. Like I can go find the speed and heading and altitude of every plane in the world. And it's like, okay, yeah, sure. Like here's a couple APIs you can choose from. And then what actually happened on this flight on January 1st of 2014, it's like, okay, that's a ton of money and there's only like one place to get it. So it's, it's crazy. I think people are getting better at it. Um, yeah. But I had to explain it. I had to explain the reason why. I guess you you tell me, but uh, is there's a lot of value in that because people use it to claim it for the travel vouchers in Europe, more or less. So I had to yeah. explain to a bunch of these data providers, like, I'm not doing it for that. So you can't charge me a million dollars for that because I can't. <laughs> like, I'm just not going to do it then. So let's figure something out. Yeah, I, I think I think that's part of it. I also think that at you know for a long time, no one bothered to aggregate the data in a way that was worth keeping or worth you know and reasonable to query. Right. Mm. This is, Right today, you've got 
dozen, you know, not dozens, tens of thousands of ADSB receivers scattered mm-hmm. around the world. I don't know, I'm making up that number, but there's a lot of them. Um, and a lot of those people have them set to just randomly publish publicly, and you can grab that data and look at what's going on out there. Historically, that was not the case. There wasn't a good way in 1987 to track what aircraft were landing at right. pick, pick an airport. And you know, I've, I've actually have done some similar work. I had uh, I used the DOT data for a long yeah. time. And we've, we actually talked about that, if I remember yeah. correctly. We um, just did that like a month ago. We put it in. Awesome. Um, I just recently found a source for some flights out of uh, the Netherlands and, and Korea that goes back to like 2009 that I was able to aggregate into my version of nice. you know, a tail number lookup of what, where, where did I fly? What was it kind of thing? Um, it was, but like the, the going through that and finding places that have mm-hmm. old data that's in a useful format is, and useful format is the really hard part, especially because there's people who are like, Oh, well, you know, BA one, two, three lands here every day. So I'm not going to list that because it wasn't interesting to me. I'm only going to list the interesting flights. I'm like, but, but I care about the uninteresting ones too, mm-hmm. but I care about it and they didn't and they get to pick which data they're saving. Right. And so right. I think that's a big part of it is coming up. And now they're, you know, today and, you know, probably for the last five to eight years, there's been a lot of people collecting this data and finding other ways to sell it in real time and then historical. And so going forward, I think it'll be much, much easier but that old history stuff is really hard to find. Yeah, we we have, I would say, I don't I I would say it's like top five that I've ever seen of of the complete and accurate and like comprehensive. Mm-hmm. But it's still, once you get to 2005, it just goes off a cliff in terms of uh, if you can look up the flight and if we have data on it. And the, yeah. the BTS database we were referencing, I think, goes back to like 1980, but it's it's very hit or miss. It's, it's mm-hmm. kind of frustrating. Yeah. Yeah, how do you guys feel about um about the ADSB thing? I, I the part that frustrates me is you get there's so many it was such like a community kind of grassroots thing and and of course there's a lot of value in privatizing that and it is kind of frustrating to me to watch all the data get kind of sucked into private databases and resold if you will. Yeah. I mean I'm torn on it obviously like I <laughs> I like grabbing the free versions of it where I can and I have some tools that go out and try to do that. It's there's also I think there's some challenges of just how accurate the data is hmm. in the raw form. And, it, you know, the location is almost always accurate, right? And right. things like that. But, like, if someone fat fingers a flight plan, uh, you might have, for a while there, I think Delta stopped flying to Narita and was only flying to Haneda, but all their flights were still in the ADSB output as going to Narita. Mm-hmm. And things like that. And, like, I would, like, see something like, this doesn't make any sense. And I'd go look it up and, you know, cross-reference it against other sources. And it's like, well, there's a reason it didn't make any sense. Someone had the wrong data being published. But, mm-hmm. right, like, we've seen someone faked, uh, you can fake ADSB data and you can, if you've got the right transmitter, you can put it out there and then someone else can pick it up. And there's... But when someone, when, like, well, whoever, like, yeah, Seth Miller's is an interesting guy, you know, is interested in this and goes and gets his... ADSB receiver and he doesn't know any better and he goes to whatever one of these one of these websites and they send them their version of it does it just go to like flight red 24 flight aware flight stats or does it just go to them or does it go everywhere if you just get their build of the app or of the software to put on your raspberry pi um yeah it generally goes just to them Uh, um there's yeah there's versions out there that people have built that let you feed multiple Hmm. um sources so like i think i feed Radar box and ADSB Exchange and Flight Radar and Flight Aware. 
Yeah, that's, but, how, my, that's how mine was when I had it for a while. But yeah. Um, I don't know how many people do that. Anyway, it just... Yeah, I, it's because it's, I mean, part of it is like, I've, I think we've had this discussion with, with internally with some friends is mm-hmm. taking that ADSB data, uh, on the Raspberry Pi. Like it's easy to go to flight radar or to whoever and download their image. And it's pretty straightforward. They have the instructions. Right. If you, you want to do any of the multiple sharings, which is really the way it should be done, right. it's a lot more convoluted and you need to know how to, you know, download something from GitHub yeah. or build something. Yeah, you're getting into GitHub territory. Yeah. And, yeah. and if the other part of that is it's like if you want it to then also be like truly public whatever, and right, like all of these images have a web site that you can go look at your own sort of local radar um, or your local ADSB feed. Yeah. Uh, the, the challenge with that is 99 and a half times out of 100, people are going to put that behind a router because there's no mm-hmm. reason that should be published on the internet, right? It's just behind your house gateway and then if you want it to be available publicly you've got to know how to log in there and do the address translation and the port forwarding and all that stuff and no one does that right and, well, and there's good security reasons not to also but no one does that yeah it's kind of a shame yeah it, it, it is i think the other thing too with like uh, adsb exchange right like it's mm-hmm. it's not as full featured so when people you know it, they look at it and they're like oh i can't see where this plane came from like easily because it's it's a definitely like a more nerdy site right like they've got all the spatial data they got the signal all yeah. these things that, that they don't have right. all the revenue from reselling all the private data <laughs> this is true so <laughs> uh you know if i think people look at it and they're like well i don't want to use that so i'm going to go download you know whoever's image right. and feed my data there because i get a free account um so, yeah. I mean, I think that's, I think that's definitely part of it. I, I, very, I very much feed them to make multiple ones to make sure I have free accounts at all of them because I need their yeah. better version of the data for my other work. <laughs> I wish there was some sort of, you know, I don't, I'm not, please God don't regulate it, but I wish there was some sort of like rule of, yeah, you can get it for free from whoever, but you got to also press the, there's an optional or like a or like a always click, but you could maybe unclick it button that says share with everyone or something like that. Would be nice. Yeah, hey, let's, let's the problem let's with share with better. everybody is that means someone else has got to run a repository. I know I've had the discussion too. I think which Stephen's about to say of making a really awesome version of it. It's it's tough. I, I think yeah. I mean I think let's make a let's make a repository or an image, right? A, a Raspberry Pi image that then points to a repository that's uh, open. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah. It's so tough. what else? What what else? So I mentioned, you know, the first level of nerdiness is looking at your inbound plane, and then it's knowing to go to the OAS. Oh, I guess it changes NAS website now and see ground stops and traffic management programs. Let me ask you guys, like, what else, if you're flying somewhere, what other sources are you looking at that we can, or what other information are you gathering that we can put in Flighty and just give you a push alert so that you don't have to do it? I mean, I think one of the things some of the airline apps do now is connections. So yeah. if I'm connecting, uh, you, you know, I'm connecting, right. If you have the data in the app, um, mm-hmm. then, you know, telling me how far is that gate, um, or, you know, what restaurants are close or, you know, whatever mm-hmm. is, is nearby. I, that, that's important to me because typically I get put on crappy connections for 45 minutes in Denver and, you know, the Chick-fil-A lines around the block and I don't feel like standing there. So I, I okay. typically just eat something crappy, but yeah, we have, We've had this discussion a lot. Um, let's see what you guys. So we have, we, we call it connection assistant. And what we do is the second your first plane lands, we send you a notification with here's where this plane is going to park. And your next flight is, you know, terminal C gate 41. And you have 32 minutes until departure or whatever. And that's obviously the, I don't know, I would say the most critical stuff and what we started with. And you can imagine where to go from there. You know, you can go all the way to 
AR turn by turn directions in the airport and anywhere in between. Um, where I tell you where I've landed, let's see what you guys think is. I don't think anyone would actually use a map to do the turn by turn, but if you showed me a map and had little dots on here's where you're arriving, here's where you're departing, here's where you're departing, I would it would just give me the warm and fuzzies of like, okay, I could see how far that is. Yeah, I, I, I like that. Like I don't need AR or anything to lead me through the airport, but uh giving me an idea when I'm on the plane of oh I gotta get off the plane, take a right, and then I've gotta go down forty gates. Right. Okay, it's gonna be a little bit of a haul. Like just that that visual uh okay. knowing that it's it's far. Um, I say, and one of the challenges there is also like any two dots on an airport map are going to look the same unless you've got some sort of scale that can be like you know mm. connecting between two gates in the same pier at Orlando is very different than connecting between two gates in the same pier at Denver. It's a good point. Yeah, yeah. right. And they're going to look the same because it's this. You're going to be able to basically you'll fill the screen with the image. Yeah, so. we get it. We get into that with some of the ground tracking stuff. Um, yeah. Because you know when you zoom in on an airport, it's just a it's a pile of a hundred planes icons, and you got to zoom in closer to actually see them spread apart. It's a good point. I wonder how we'd solve that. Be, yeah. you know, and I, I don't know if there's a like this is five hundred yards, or you know, yeah, some, think... you could do the calculation on the fly and give two dots in a distance, or right. something like that. I don't know. The other thing is, I think people, self included, are generally really bad at like, what does five hundred yards mean? Okay, great. Excellent analogy. How far is that? Still, I don't know how long that's going to take me to walk. Yeah. Quarter okay, mile. So you just answered it there. Still don't know how long that's going to take me to walk. I guess you just answered it there, which is which is awesome. Is um, So right now, the title of the push notification we send is either connection in the same terminal or connection in a different terminal. Because for me, that's what I, I'm like. Okay, mm-hmm. am I? what am I doing? Am I tramming? Am I trying to figure out? Or am I just like walking down the jet? Or the, I think uh, the answer has got to be something like hustle or you've got time. That's what right. I care about, right? And turning it into some sort of minutes, which, you know, is going to get hard when you include trams, but you have 42 minutes to make the connection. It takes six minutes to get to the gate or something. So you're like, okay, I kind of understand how hustling, how fast I have to be here. Yeah. 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 What kind of, what kind of pace I got to keep. Right. I mean, cause one of the nerdy things you kind of, you already do in the app is you include the runway numbers like right. in the app when you zoom in on an airport uh, and you also include the gate numbers, right? Like right. There's, they're, they're very visible. Um, so I think that all, all, all that really just helps a user just kind of figure out what's going on and which way they're oriented, you know, oriented uh, when, when they're looking at the map. So mm-hmm. just including a, a maybe, Hey, it's, it's going to be about a six minute walk or something like that would just be, I mean, if you're in Seattle, it's like that six minute walk could really take you 25 minutes because people are dumb, but otherwise, yeah. that's how you really feel. Steven. Yeah. Anyway, uh, <laughs> <laughs> now that we've discounted the Pacific Northwest from our listenership, <laughs> well, I wasn't going to say anything about Denver's airport, but Oh man, that's, <laughs> I'm the sure last, you guys have. I'm sure you guys have played the game of least favorite airports on earth, but that's in the top five for me. I, I think everyone has a love hate relationship with Denver. Like the new patio at Denver is awesome. There's like a new outdoor patio. Yeah. Where you can watch flights, but some of like they're they're slowly removing the people movers from Denver, mm-hmm. um, which I Are think just makes OTG restaurants. That's no, that's not that bad yet. But it's, <laughs> it's um, but like they're slowly like they've gotten rid of two of them, and I don't know what they're doing. Like maybe they're just trying to make it wider for people sitting at the gates, like more space. But it's I think it's going to slowly turn into a even more of a shit show, which we've said our one shit for this episode. Man, it's so nice. it's so fun to talk to guys who <laughs> know more about this stuff than me. So let me ask this: I, I'm I'm pretty sure this is correct. Isn't all doesn't all baggage go to one terminal that? is not necessarily have anything. It doesn't have anything to do with which one you arrive at. Is that correct in Denver? Am I remembering that right? Like the central concourse? I think it you got to go underneath the little thing. No matter like yes. you, no matter what, you can't get your baggage at your terminal. It, this is true. Yes. yes. It goes, it goes, it goes to me. Yep. God. 
I actually, I mean, random aside, but Charles de Gaulle, for all of its faults, and there are many, many, they did a mm. huge thing a couple years ago, even for connecting flights, all the baggage used to have to go to the, like, in Terminal 2, the Air France section, had to go to a centralized space, and then get distributed back out, and it added, like, 20 minutes Lovely. to the baggage processing for any checked bag. And they actually built, they dug out underneath one of the terminals. I have a picture I was standing in. It was like a six-story tall cave, essentially. And they put in the belts and everything to keep the bags get and let them get processed locally in that pier instead of going mm. all the way back to the central place. It was crazy. Um, the amount, like, things like that that happen behind the scenes sometimes to make. And that, by doing that, they were able to drop their minimum connect time by, like, 20 minutes because mm. the bags would make the connections now. They didn't care if you made the connection stuck in immigration or whatever, but the bag would make it at least. So, so Ryan, if I can ask, what's your what's your home airport? Austin. I was about to I was about to say we're uh, kind of the hot topic lately, and I'm, ter- <laughs> I'm I am terrified for what's going to happen in our expansion. It, I mean, they don't ever go well. And Austin, we have a I think we have a really good history of like it just citywide. We, we're slow, but when they do it, it's done well. And I'm just terrified that they're going to make this thing a mess. So my my wife has two qualms with the Austin. She's from Austin originally. All right, give it to me. Uh, she has two qualms with the airport. One, why can't they turn the air conditioner up in that damn yeah. airport? Uh, and two, um, it seems like Alaska Airlines and maybe United cannot figure out how to deliver a bag within thirty minutes. That's so, true. That's true. <laughs> like they just, they, I don't know what it is. Maybe they're walking it from the plane. But she, every time she's like, I took the slowest route possible to the baggage claim. Went to the bathroom, you know, browsed. Bag still wasn't there. Stopped um, and had some ice cream. Yeah. I mean, to Seth's point, actually, we have, um, there's amazing food in the Austin airport. It's yeah. Like all the local restaurants, they did an yep. amazing job with that. And they just finished the new parking garage. Which, of course, okay, as soon as I say something nice about them, uh, they force all the ride-sharing apps to go through, like, a certain part of the parking garage, which is, you know, I've seen it at other airports. But, guys, we just finished this, like, a year and a half ago. We couldn't figure out, like, a drive-through area for this to happen. It has to happen in a parking garage. And you have to go upstairs. Yep. There's, they you don't cannot t- avoid going upstairs. It's like people have bags. What are you guys doing? Yeah, I, I think that's like a big fault. And everyone's like taking the page because I think Vegas was one of the first to do that where they put you in the parking garage. Mm. And in Vegas, it's even more confusing because they don't tell you which floor it's on. They just kind of say it's up, up this escalator. And then you have to figure it out. And hmm. I think everyone's like taking that page. And now I think Nashville has it behind or is in the parking garage. At least it's on the ground floor there. Uh, where did you say, Seth? Uh, Boston. Boston's like that. Too, yeah. Nashville's uh, definitely I, like that. I went through it recently. Yeah. Yeah. And then I think San Francisco's slowly moving that way. Um, LA, other- I mean, LA did an even crazier version of the, they all park at like terminal zero, basically like just off the edge of terminal one. Mm-hmm. And if you're on like in five, if you're in five or Tebit way down in the corner, you've got to take their special shuttle to get over there and then get into the module. And the problem is, for better or worse, you know, instead of being dispatched like taxis where they all queued up in one area and then slowly trickled into curbside pickup, the ride shares were clogging the yeah. the roadways. So win some, lose some. It hasn't it hasn't improved the roadways at LAX though. Let's well, be clear. <laughs> it's the only thing that can improve the roadways at LAX is like a nuclear bomb at this point. They're, they're trying. They you know construction. They're trying to nuke it. Is that what you're saying? They're trying to nuke it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, they got, maybe 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 when this the people mover finally the, the little I don't know if it's a monorail or not, but the people mover thing shows up. We'll see. So, so this is so I, this is one of the benefits of having your own app is it, it drives me insane in basically every airline or plane tracking app that if the airport only has one terminal 
it'll just say terminal and it'll just be blank or like have a dash. So uh-huh. everywhere in flighty that there's an airport that only has one terminal. Of course we negotiated for three hours. We came up with main. So it just says main terminal instead of just having a dash. And every time I see that, it makes me happy. Terminal. <laughs> terminal yes. I know <laughs> we had the debate. Is it like, is it main? Is it one, even though it's not one, is it, do you just remove the word terminal? Cause there's not actually a different terminal. And yeah. Yes. Please go to the airport. Actually go in. Uh, the, nice. So the, the one feature I would like to see Ryan. Yeah. Yeah. You're asking. Uh, so as if you try to add a flight back in the, uh, in the past, mm-hmm. uh, I if, this is going. yeah, if you try to add one, it will fail because you don't have some of that data. Um, give me the ability to manually add it. Maybe with yep. the things that I do know. hundred percent. Yeah. Okay. This is, this is an infrastructure problem that, so to be nerdy for a second, like right now there's one global database that's the same for all users. And in order to let people have different databases or to share user input data, it's just a different data model that we got to switch over gotcha. to, but it's a hundred percent on the radar. Cool. Yeah. Alter table column, not null. <laughs> allow, allow nulls. That's you. We're fine. Done. I yeah, the, I'll, I'll let uh, Frances know that Seth has uh, <laughs> solved it. Yeah, the last thing you want is me to actually touch any real production data. I've I was on this podcast recently, and they solved our engineering problems. <laughs> it's amazing. I, which is which is funny because when Seth has certain questions about you know databases, I get I text messages. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I got to see them. Uh, so, uh, Ryan, I think we're going to talk a little bit about news. I appreciate you talking about flighty.app um, and people can go to that address and it'll open up the app store if they're on their phone. And if, if they're not on their phone, flighty.app is still the website. Um, people can find you on Twitter at R Jonesy. They can find uh, the app at flighty app. Um, and uh, yeah, I really, really appreciate you coming on the show and, and talking about that. If you want to stick around and talk about news, you're more than welcome to um, or not. You, you can, you can drop off if you're completely bored. I'll hang around and uh, probably not provide anything, let you guys do the expert talking. But uh, thanks for having me. And I look forward to very discerning user fee- or uh, listener <laughs> feedback, I should say. Um, I love hearing from other flight nerds saying like, you got this wrong or you should do this. It's awesome. Uh, usually we get not the most brilliant input sometimes. So I love it when other geeks hop in so i'm I'm, I'm sad i'm sad i didn't come up with anything unique like i'm sure you'd already heard my suggestion oh man i've thought about this for a long time (laughs) if you came up with something unique it would be uh (laughs) you'd be like well you're hired yeah Yeah, honestly (laughs) yes it's you know if you sat around and thought about something for i mean i've been working on it for four years probably thought about it for like seven or eight it's it's pretty hard to come up with something brand new yeah yeah um seth project sunrise let's talk about it real quick a three fifty one thousand ULR, the ultra long range. Uh, Qantas uh, is going to order a dozen of them. Flights to start in late twenty twenty five, and as part of this, Airbus flew one of its A three fifty one thousands into Australia for the announcement, and couldn't make it from Toulouse to Sydney nonstop. Even an empty, like you know, empty cabin demo flight. I think that's a little weird. That's that's not uh, good. <laughs> Was it the ULR version? No, no. Okay, um, it's, okay. it's their one, like line number one or something. It's one of the very first, or not line one, but it's the, I think it's the first Dash 1000. It's a test and demo plane that they use. It's still a little surprising to me that they did Toulouse to Perth and then Perth onward to Sydney. It's a little surprising to me that it couldn't make that flight in sort of demo delivery mode, just knowing that Boeing managed to do a couple flights on the 787-9 that could get that long range uh, from London to Sydney. And obviously London to... Sydney or from London to New York. London to Sydney is a little longer than Toulouse to Sydney. So, so anyway. So, but wait, hang on. So, why the switch? You think from the seven eighty seven? So they 
They announced in 2019 that if it went forward, it would be on the Airbus. Um, okay. And it's partly because the 787 never had a chance. The 787 did it with like 40 passengers on board, and they did it with one of their previously purchased Dash 9s um, that they just did a delivery flight to London and then loaded it up mostly for media, honestly, mm-hmm. um, and the press the press coverage they got out of it. Uh, and we were part of that. We actually talked about it on the show in 2019, too. But they really wanted to have that sort of they, they claimed they were doing like user experience testing and they put monitoring like whatever electronics on people early version of apple watch let's call it um and actually if i remember correctly like one guy didn't move and they went over and like they went back to the data and like we think this guy was broken and they went and talked to him it's like no i just sat in my seat for 20 hours it was cool um <laughs> so certain definitions of cool man um he didn't yeah, use the, the bathroom I, I, Apparently, I don't know. Donate um, him to science. Like, seriously. <laughs> but so there, there's a lot going on. I think the most interesting to me is the cabin layout. They're going to have a new first class suite. It'll be three across one, one, one on the 350. Very, I'm sorry, Lufthansa, very Lufthansa-esque. That, so right, it's going to have a seat and a bed yep. in your space, which it to me, it looks like what the old Lufthansa 744 upper deck looked like when yep. they sort of were getting rid of the first class on there or whatever, right? There's a weird period where they had that and then it went to all business. Yep. Um, I forgot to finish the last story though with the 787s. Uh, Boeing was going to do it with a 777X and it was going to be the Dash 8 model because it was a slightly smaller plane, but they were going to lengthen it a little bit for Qantas to make this work and add an, an extra fuel tank. And there were a lot of reasons that that plan fell apart. Among them, the Dash 8 passenger plane no longer exists. Yep. So, um, but I think in 2019, when it was up for debate still, the, it was still in play. Obviously, knowing now what you know, what we do know about the 777X and the fact that those the first ones aren't going to be delivered until deliver 2025 anyways, that's uh, probably a good, a good choice for Qantas if they actually want these planes to fly. But, um, yeah, so 351,000 typically in a commercial airline situation carries about 330 passengers, British Airways, Qatar Airways, Virgin Atlantic, uh, Cathay Pacific, all in that ballpark. The Qantas layout, 238 seats. Hmm. So six first class suites, uh, 52 business class beds, 40 premium economy, five rows of 242 with 40 inch pitch. And 140 economy at 33 inch pitch in the back, so it's a lot fewer people on board. And I mean, obviously, comfort factor. Like, yeah, 33 inch pitch the whole way. Sweet. There's a uh, what are they calling it? Uh, like re- not a relaxation area, like a stretching room that they put in economy. Mm-hmm. Um, a well being zone is what they're calling it. And like, so you know, some space to stand up and move around because sitting in your seat for 20 hours is definitely not healthy. But I don't know. That's they also put in their release, like, the plane will have 25% lower fuel burn per seat mile, which is a straight-up uh, marketing tag from Airbus, yep. which only works when you actually fill it with seats. And when you take a third of the seats out, that 25% fuel savings per passenger actually goes away. So there's some <laughs> interesting sort of considerations to have to, to go with there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm, I'm interested in how this is going to – I mean – 20 hours on a plane is long for anybody, regardless of class. Yeah. And it's it seems like it's going to be one of those, uh, are they going to operate this daily? Or they, they probably don't even know yet, right? Like, how I don't think they know yet. I mean, if you do the math, to do if it's 20 hours each way, you need two planes to do any round trip route. Yep. Right? Daily. Um, they're going to have 12 planes and they want to do it on two routes. That's actually, I mean, maybe if you like do quicker turns, it's maybe enough to 
Mm. You know, you're sort of, it's not a full two planes each. It's like 1.8 and you, you can get some savings there, but it's going to be tight. Yeah. I'm just, I'm thinking like if anything goes wrong on either end. Fungo stack. Yeah. I mean, yeah. there's a diversion, anything like there, there's a, there's a lot of challenges with what's about to happen and it's still three years away. So yeah. Yeah. I was thinking order more. We'll figure it out. Yeah. I just want to say, I, I don't think we're going to do a bonus show this episode, but you know, we're, we're going to keep going with some topics here. So Norse initial routes. Uh, tell me about this. Seth, it kind of kind of got screwed up. They went to the big cities. Uh, so uh, back when they put in, yeah, back when they put in their their uh, application to the DOT, they explicitly mentioned uh, Stewart in Newburgh, New York, which is like sixty miles north of Manhattan, and Ontario, California, for the LA region, uh, which is like turned out really far from LAX, um, further than I thought when I finally went there earlier this year. And when they actually published their schedules, they filed with JFK and with LAX instead. And some folks at Stewart are pissed. I, I had someone comment on one of my, on my story about it, talking about how pissed they were that, you know, these guys promised them the world and then didn't show up. Uh, f- responding to that pushback and irate customer base, uh, Norse did say eventually, oh, well, it's because Stewart doesn't have the necessary cargo handling facilities and we need that to support our business model. Well, we know Ontario does. So what's the excuse there? Right. Uh, also, like, what do they not have? If it's like a, a high loader to get the containers in and out, because they would have needed that for passenger bags too. And I'm pretty sure they have them there because. Well, anyway. and for and for UPS and stuff, I'm sure you need high loaders. So. Yeah, I mean, it just it would for Ontario. I was thinking more Stewart, um, yeah, yeah, which actually does decent cargo. I thought did like that's what I'm thinking, right? They use Stewart. That's why I was. That's why. Yeah, I mean, they use no, it's, the, the whole thing is seems a little bullshitty to me. In, in the words of Elaine, it stinks. Stinks real bad. Yeah. So, um, that'll be interesting. They have previously tipped that London and Paris are going to be other hubs for them or bases on the European side. Uh, I have to assume this comes sooner than not. Uh, also Orlando and Fort Lauderdale are going to be on the route map from Oslo. I guess we probably should mention that part too. Oslo is the European side. Yep. Um, yeah. It'll be interesting to see what comes of that. Uh, I, for many, many reasons think that London and uh, Paris are much more likely to be profitable and useful. Um, that's just based on having seen Norwegian crash and burn out of Copenhagen and Oslo. But you know, not I, mean, I, th- not, I think not physically, more financially. Well, and so I think that's that. I think that's a key, though, right? Like uh, with with Norse, they're they're focusing on these low, you know, kind of this low cost model. But I, I don't think Oslo is really the place where people go. Low cost, like that's not what people are looking for vacations. Unless yeah, when I, when I think about cheap places in Europe to visit, Scandinavia is usually the top of my list. But, yeah, top of the list. <laughs> <laughs> as long as you're not planning on eating or sleeping anywhere, it's or drinking alcohol. It's really affordable. Place I mean, if you're flying there and back, it's it is cheap. So, um, uh, so Tailwind, uh, which is the 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 airline, I guess you can call them an airline, kind of a airline scheduled service. Yeah, uh, that flies. Yeah, yeah, Boston, New York, uh, and some of the outlying islands around New York and Massachusetts. Um, they announced they're going to potentially fly seaplanes to DC. So it comes from announcing that they're going to fly to Hyannis. I think. Yeah. Um, is what was the original announcement, and there's some interesting things going on there. They they launched last summer uh, with. Boston Harbor to uh, the East River. Yep. And the concept mostly works in terms of, the, you know, it's a, the plane flies a little slower because it's an eight seat prop, um, but it can land right in town. And so you're to from, you know, the airport time is much lower. They do. It's a very quick uh, boarding process. Uh, and, you know, so you don't have to arrive an hour early, all of those things. Obviously, if they had flighty, they would tell you exactly how early to arrive. And for this, 
these guys would be very short and the terminal would be floating, I guess. We would have to put that in there as an option instead of main. Um, but <laughs> we'll work on that <laughs> branding stuff. But anyway, they they, uh, they decided to go big. I mean, they, they think they've got this business figured out and that they're going to be able to drive uh, huge options. And on their map, they also indicated D.C., and they think they've got a way to do it. Now, the problem with saying DC is in airliner world, that could also mean Dallas. In a seaplane? Got wheels. <laughs> the one time I flew on them, we diverted at both ends. I, I, I took a seaplane from Boston to New York and never was on the water. Oh, so they could end up at Dulles or they could end up at DCA, I guess. Or you can end up at DCA, and like, which is still pretty close to downtown. Um, I'm st- I mean, I'm not, they wouldn't get slots for that though. So I'm not sure how that works. I just, I mean, I don't know where you landed on the water. The Potomac or the Anacostia? And how does that work? And there's the whole like national defense, the airspace yeah. zones. Like you can't actually fly planes there without a air marshal on board and or significant other approvals. Yeah. It, yeah I just, I don't see it. Yeah. This, that, it's a super weird thing for them to have hinted on that on the map and teasing, but we'll I, see. I did see a picture though of someone posting it landing on what is it? The Washington mall, like the wall. Oh yeah. Someone <laughs> had on the reflecting pond on their fucking yeah. pool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's uh, a good job. <laughs> pretty. I mean, it's genius. If they yeah. can get it to work. Uh, <laughs> it's touchdown between the Washington monument and the Lincoln Memorial. I'm sure no one would have any problems with that. I mean, you're, 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 uh, you know, you got public restrooms really close. You got the, 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 the subways really close. It's great. Um, yeah. Fascinating. Hot see if it's available for catering. It'd be fine. <laughs> oh man. Well, I think that's, that's a show. Um, Seth, thanks for joining me, Ryan yeah. again. Thanks for joining us on the show. Um, and everyone again, flighty.app. Um, and we will talk right. to you next and time. And again, so I would say again, leave us uh hit us up on Twitter. Um, I guess if you want to leave a comment on our, our website too, to get in, if you want, uh, one of these free flighty subscriptions we've got. Yeah, we're not gonna we're not gonna judge your response. It's gonna be random choice of who gets. I judge a lot of things. <laughs> no, we're gonna put it into a, a random generator, and that's how. Stephen will give some of them away, and I'll give some of them away. <laughs> so um, anyway, and we will talk about some of the other news next week. There's a bunch of crazy stuff that happened. We went too long on other news, but uh, I really want to talk about this Avello base in Orlando next week because we should. That's why crazy. I saved it. I saved yeah. it because yeah. So, but thanks great, for listening, great. everybody. Happy uh, happy travels. Bye bye. Take care.